0: All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, so my name is Zach Guggenheim. I work on staff with Disciple Makers. Been on staff for a little over fifteen years, and uh, I get to lead the team in the Susquehanna Valley, which is Lycoming and Susquehanna and Bloomsburg and Bucknell. Really love getting to be a, a part of that region and seeing what God's doing. I also just graduated from Westminster Theological Seminary with a degree, uh, a Master's in Biblical Counseling, and so. I love talking about topics like anxiety, and I got a little bit of training in it while I was in school, but the reality is I don't feel like I'm an expert or that I I like talking about it just because I've learned about it, but because I've experienced it. So about six years ago, I remember laying in bed. About 3 a.m., I wake up, and I think I'm having a heart attack, and so I drive myself to the hospital, which in hindsight, bad idea, if you think you're having a heart attack. (laughs) But I drive myself to the hospital, and they run all sorts of tests. And afterwards, they're like, nothing's wrong with you. Like, no, no, something is wrong, okay? Like, I feel like my heart is going to burst. What do you mean nothing's wrong? And they did chest x-rays. They took blood. Nothing was wrong. I'm like, what in the world's going on? It's like, I think you might be anxious. Like, maybe you have anxiety, or maybe you're struggling with this. And I was like, I can't be feeling this bad about this, in my mind, small thing. And that was, I think, the first time I realized just how pervasive and hard anxiety can be. And my guess is if you're in this room for this workshop, your first step to fighting anxiety, you can probably relate to some degree. Maybe you haven't ended up in the hospital But my guess is, for you, anxiety is something that can feel like it defines you or something that can never go away. Maybe you struggle with body responses, palms being sweaty, your heart racing, you're maybe feeling like me on the verge of a panic attack. Will you always feel nervous in a large group of people or maybe scared that you can't control the schedule? Maybe you've even felt that this weekend with a jam-packed schedule with umpteen things to do. And maybe you're even feeling anxious thinking, what's going to happen at the Whittaker Center? Am I going to find something that's helpful? (laughs) Like maybe you feel those things. I remember for a season in my life asking why I couldn't calm myself down so that I could sleep. What is wrong with me? My guess is many of us in this room have asked that question. What is wrong with me? but I want to give you maybe a different perspective, a biblical perspective on what anxiety is. I think it's similar to a check engine light on a car. When it comes on, it's an indication that something is wrong, but it doesn't tell you what is wrong. And so what should we do when the check engine light comes on? We should go to a mechanic, right? The same thing is true for us. When the check engine light goes on in terms of anxiety, and fear, and worry, those symptoms are like dashboard lights that should lead us a step towards the mechanic of our souls, Jesus Christ. And our great hope, as we're learning in this conference, is that Jesus draws near. He speaks to us and invites us to walk with him in the midst of our struggles, and in this breakout, I want To help you take your first step in fighting anxiety. And every first step is always running to Jesus in some way. Now, before we get there, I want to point out that the word anxiety is a loaded term. Some of us could be under the impression that anxiety solely means a psychiatric disorder. Others of us might think it's just simply worrying. We might have the question is anxiety always sinful? Some of us might think, is it just a disease? And I think whenever we get a loaded term like this in our culture, we need to bathe it in Scripture. I, I think to simplify it for us, here's how I would start, and then we're going to just look at the Scriptures. But here's, here's maybe a, a, a simplified way to talk about it. Anxiety is a real issue that we all face due to the reality that we live in a broken world. Let me repeat that. Anxiety is a real issue that we all face due to the reality that we live in a broken world and have broken sinful hearts. And so it's both and. We we have this real issue as we live in a broken world and have broken sinful hearts. Now, it's also something we can suffer from, but also something we can amplify through our sinful choices. It's something we can suffer from, but it's something we can amplify as well with our sinful choices. And it's something we can feel, but in Christ, should not define us. It's something we feel, but it's something that should not define us. And I, I think, friends, in our culture, we often look at diagnoses as a definition, but I would actually just say it's an explanation. Diagnoses are an explanation. It is not what defines you. In this, let's go to Jesus together and see more of what he says about us, the one who truly defines us, and what he says what we should do in the midst of anxiety. Let me pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you are a God who welcomes the unlovable You welcome the unknown, the unreachable. You love those of us who maybe feel beat up and beat down by this thing we call anxiety. We might feel beat down in different ways, at different uh, intensity levels. Maybe some of us, it's just low grade. For others of us, we've been to the hospital. For others of us, we've been diagnosed. Lord, I pray wherever we are in this room, and our experience. Lord, would you just remind us that you draw near and that you deeply, deeply long to see us come to you in the midst of the fight and that you will carry us and carry us home with whatever it takes. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you look at your outline, we're on pages 40 and 41. If you want to go ahead and turn there And you'll see there's several passages, and each passage is going to correspond to a point. So let me tell you the first point and then the first passage. And I'll tell you, there is a typo in the first passage, and I'll cut it off when we we get to it. But it's God provides in the fear of our want. And we're going to take a look at this Matthew 6 passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on... is that we look to the God who provides in the fear of our want. So I want you to notice that Jesus says a couple times not to be anxious. The beginning in particular, he says, do not be anxious about your life. And verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. And so when Jesus says not to be anxious, he tells them to do something. Do you notice what he says to do? Do not be anxious about your life. Instead, verse 26, I want you to look. I want you to look. What does he want them to look at? At birds. Look at the birds of the air. Look at how they're fed, even though they don't work. Right? You, you catch, They were, would have been farmers, and so they're talking about sowing and reaping. These are agricultural terms. And he's saying, look, they're fed even though they don't work for their food. Right? It's, it's kind of a joke. He's trying to point out like, hey, look, the birds are eating. And do the birds work the fields like you do? Do they farm? Like, of course not. They're birds. And yet God still feeds them. And then a second time, Jesus tells them to look. Look or consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil or work. They don't spin their clothing Yet, look at how they're adorned. See, Jesus is exposing the reality of real problems, real needs, real wants, right? He's looking at their clothing and their food, their shelter, and he's exposing. We have wants and needs, and it's easy to believe that we may not get them. And so what do we do when we feel the worry of want? When we feel the anxiety of need. Jesus tells them in those moments to look to the birds and to the flowers so that you might come to this conclusion. If God cares more about you than them, won't he provide for you? Won't he provide for you? Won't he give you what you want and need? He cares for you, He cares for you. He cares for you. And even in this passage, we see God himself draw near to an anxious people to tell them that he cares for them and to tell them that when they feel anxious over their wants and their needs, we take a step in fighting by looking outside of ourselves. He is incredibly practical. Right. He's not just telling them theology. He's giving them an opportunity to look. I was making a presentation the other day. No, no one's ever gotten anxious giving a presentation, right? For school. No, never. Okay, Uh, I was making a presentation and I was I was a little nervous. And some of the questions that were running through my mind, am I prepared enough? You know, what's the audience going to think? I want people to think it's good. I want God to be glorified. I want, I want, I want, I want. And all of a sudden, as I'm driving, I see the beautiful landscape of central Pennsylvania. If you've you've spent any time in the valleys of Pennsylvania, you know what I'm talking about, right? The, the, The rolling hills, beautiful sun just bouncing off the grass seeing livestock because it's Pennsylvania, you're going to see cows, right? You're going, to see, you're going to see some sort of animal. You're going to see the crops growing. It's like, wow. God created those things. God is sustaining those things. He has provided everything that they need. And it was a reminder to me. I was thanking God for such beauty and glory and it was a reminder that God is in control of my presentation and that he wants for me to glorify him more than I do. He is going to make things work better than I could, even if the presentation tanks. It was a lesson for me in what I would call the classroom of nature. We look out, and as we look at God's creation, as we look at how he cares for the livestock and for the fields and for the, for the plant life, it is a reminder of how much more he cares for us. It's a step towards the Lord of creation. So how does this apply to us? We fight anxiety by looking. Fight anxiety by looking outside. Sometimes we might call this grounding yourself, So, like one thing, actually, uh, my friend Joel and I, we were talking about this. Sometimes it's good to just say, okay, what are five things to find that you can see outside? Like while you're you're in your own head and all these things are running in your mind, just start thinking, okay, what's outside of me? What are some of the things that I can see? What are some of the things that I can smell? Right? If you were in uh, Broad Street Market, all the smells, like it starts to ground you. Take a walk. Stop and smell the roses. (laughs) See how God cares for his creation and know that he cares for you even more. And as you do this, talk to your heavenly father. Talk to your heavenly father, not just about what you want, but pray what you see. Pray what you feel. Pray what you smell. That you see how God gives light to the world that you see how God feeds the beasts of the field. That as you take in those big breaths with your lungs, that he is giving you the air you need to breathe, to sustain your life. In all of those things, you are taking one small step towards Jesus as you recognize how he provides generally, which then leads to being reminded how he provides for us practically and specifically because he cares for you. So learn from the classroom of nature and look to the God who provides because he cares for you. He provides even in the fear of our want. But God doesn't just provide in the fear of our want, and that's, that's not the only thing that we see as we, as we wrestle with anxiety, but we also wrestle with anxiety in the midst of hardship, which is why your second point says God protects In the face of hardship, God protects in the face of hardship. And so we get anxious about hardship and the threat of hardship, right? And let me read 1 Peter 5, and then we'll we'll dive in a little bit more. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. You'll notice a theme of God's care in all of these points. So the context here is Peter is telling his audience to not be surprised when the fiery trials come on account of faith in Jesus. He is talking to a people that will suffer. Maybe they have suffered. And and what he does next is incredible. There is one very important word that you need to understand in how he's connecting dots. I'm going to care for you in the midst of the fiery trial. And then chapter, or chapter five, verse one, so, saying, so, because you're going to encounter these fiery trials, because you are going to suffer, I exhort the elders. Huh, that's weird. Why would he say I exhort the elders after that? Why is Peter's impulse to talk about spiritual leaders, about what they should do? And then why does he address the youths in verse five? Why does he do that? He says, verse five, likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Why, Why is he talking about this here? Here's what he's doing. He's addressing the community of the church. And so the first of three things I'm going to tell you about God protecting in the face of hardship, the first is that he protects by providing the people we need. By providing the people we need. You see, what he's doing as he's addressing elders and youths is he's reminding this group of people who are enduring fiery trials and hardship that the impulse is to either... Abandon or abuse. The impulse is either to isolate or to control. And what he's telling them is when you feel anxious in hardship, when you feel anxious, when the fiery trial comes, engage with people, engage with your community, engage with the community that God has given you in Christian community, in the church. It's a step, not the step, but a step in fighting anxiety to engage with the people of God. This past Monday night, I was deeply anxious about a conflict that was going on, and I'm kind of in the middle of. And I desperately wanted to just cancel my Tuesday, right? Anybody, if you're in the middle of anything relational, you're like, I'm done, just Netflix, some ice cream, and we're good, right? And then you have a big stomachache afterwards, right? But you see, I I really wanted to call off my Tuesday, and I was like, no, I really should. I really should meet with the the guys that I I, I set up times with. It'll be good for me, by faith I'll go. And I, I went to campus to meet with these three guys Tuesday morning, and I cannot tell you how refreshed I felt afterwards. I went into to it f- feeling like death. And I left feeling like the biggest weight had been just lifted off my shoulders. And I'm like, what the heck happened? Oh, I engaged with the people of God. <laughs> the Lord gives, gave me those dear brothers as a reminder that He cares for me and nourishes me even in the midst of hardship. So when you and I feel anxious over hardship, engage, don't withdraw engage in Christian community. Engage even when that anxiety comes from interpersonal conflict, a hard week of school, or maybe even you feel weighed down by national or global events that you you see so quickly on Twitter, on TikTok, wherever you, you get your news or you look at social media. When those things weigh you down, don't withdraw, but engage. And I think part of what you see even in this is, is you connect intergenerationally, right? You can connect with those who are older than you. Pastors, elders, older brothers and sisters. See how you can serve them. Ask if they can, if they can serve you with a meal. It's a good thing to ask, ask them if you can spend time with them. Be in fellowship, be at Bible study, spend time with your communities, Because friends, the temptation for you and I is to withdraw, but we can take a step toward Jesus by trusting him with the communities he has blessed us with. And as you live and serve and engage, it will be a reminder that God has given you these people as a protection during hardship. It's a protection during hardship. God does not promise that you will not face hardship. In fact, he promises that you will but he has also given you a protection during hardship. It's a step in fighting anxiety. He gives us the people we need, but he also gives us the posture we need. See, because I know many of you here engage in Christian community and you're thinking, oh, but sometimes the community is messy. Amen. That's why he he tells us and gives us a posture that we need. Notice what he says at the end of verse 5 of 1 Peter 5, 1 1 through 7. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And then he says further, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You see, humility is the posture he wants for all, for leaders and for youths, for the mature for the immature, for men and for women. Maybe a better way to say this, when you feel anxious, the posture he's trying to give us is the posture to always be inclined to ask for help. To always be inclined to ask for help. And why can we do that? Because we are doing it from a God whose hand is mighty and he longs to help you through the people he's given you. And so have the posture he gives you by knowing that God has your back. And when I feel hard things, whether it be temptation of sin or people sin against me or any other fears and anxieties of hardship, the temptation again is to withdraw. And then I remember, oh no, the posture is to ask for help. And so what I do is I have a couple of brothers on speed dial. And when I feel anxious, I hit the call button. <laughs> and we talk. Now, I need help. I need help. I just ask if I can talk it out. I ask if I'm doing anything that I can grow in. Ask if there's a way that I can resolve a conflict that I'm in. All I'm saying is, help! Help! <laughs> And that's what you should do too. When you feel anxious, call for help. Now, how do you do this? How do you do this? Well, I think we obviously ask for help from God. We need to ask for help from God. He's the one that gives us a humble posture, right? But he also wants us to ask for help from God's people. So again, Ask to be in, included in people's families. Ask if you can spend time in fellowship with people. Call a friend and actually call them. Actually hear their voice. If, if you need to, text them first. But, like, please don't, like, make sure you're in communication and you're talking with one another. Sometimes you, may, you might need help. Uh, you might need different help. Maybe it would be good for you to ask for a counselor, to get counsel, and one that might be able to meet your specific needs. If you're like, how do I find a counselor? W- one of your staff or, or a wise, someone who's wise in walking with you, have them walk with you in finding a good counselor. But there's no shame, no shame at all in saying, I need help from a counselor. Maybe you do that in conjunction with discipleship. You know, we, we're all about disciple making, right? And part of discipleship is really just having the posture of saying, Hey, I need help in growing in my relationship with Jesus. Like, I need help. So it's good to ask for help. Even for the, for the leaders here, you know, and that it says, I exhort the elders, and he says, I want all of you to clothe yourselves with humility. For leaders, please understand the best thing you can do as a leader is not try to have all the answers, but to ask for help. If you ask any of the staff in here who have been in leadership for any amount of time, you, will know how, you, you can ask us how many times we ask for help and we will not be able to tell you the amount of times we've asked for help because we ask for help all the time. It's a good thing that God has given us. We, we, he gives us a posture to ask for help, to humble ourselves, And as we have the people he gives us with the posture that we need, he gives us a plan. He gives us a plan. When you and I are anxious, we need to do what the last part of this passage says. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. When you and I are anxious, we need to give our burdens to the only one who can carry them. We need to give our burdens to the only one who can carry them because he cares for you. What does it look like? Well, it might look like journaling or writing prayers to God. It might look like songwriting. It might look like reading through the Psalms. It may, again, might be calling a friend when you feel anxious or asking to talk through it and then pray together. It is doing something, anything to say This big fear, this big worry, this big problem I feel, I'm not big enough to carry it. But God is. So God, would you take my burden, my anxiety, my struggle, my fear, and can I load it up on your big, broad shoulders, and would you walk with me and carry it for me? That's the plan. Now, the hope in doing that, and I think many people have, have mistaken this here, is many think that the hope of casting your anxieties is you will never feel that again. And that's not true. I'm here to tell you that even when you cast your anxieties on to Jesus, you will probably still feel it. You will probably still feel it. But here's, here's what I love. And, and there's a quote on the top of your, your page on 41 that I really appreciate. It says this. Faith in Jesus will not replace your fears. Instead, your faith will coexist with your fears and begin to quiet them. You will learn by faith to see your life from Jesus's perspective and to trust that he is our ever-present help in trouble. It's from one of, the, one of my professors at Westminster. His name's Ed Welch. And he has great wisdom there. And he's not saying that faith in Jesus will replace your fears, but instead your faith will coexist and begin to quiet them. How does this apply? When you feel anxiety and when it becomes more and more clear, you have an opportunity to load your burden onto the big, broad shoulders of Jesus. The one, the only one who can carry them. So cling to him when the feelings of trouble comes. And friends, this is the heart of the gospel, right? The greatest burden and hardship is our sin. And Jesus and only Jesus is big enough to carry the burden all the way to the cross so that we might be forgiven and rescued. And if he can carry the burden of sin, then he can help you carry any burden. So let your worry, let your anxiety, let your fear drive you to the Lord when you feel it. This is a step to fighting anxiety because you are taking a step towards Jesus. So we see that God provides in the fear of our want. We see that God protects in the face of hardship. But third, God cares for us in times of weakness. Let me read the third passage on, your, on page 40, 1 Kings 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, "'It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life "'for I am no better than my father's.' And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, "'Arise and eat.' And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. We see here that God cares for us in times of weakness. Or maybe a better way to put it, when you're anxious, you should take naps and eat snacks. Here's here's what I mean. Elijah is a prophet on the run, fearing for his life. He, He just had a great victory to honor God, and he's rewarded not with glory, but with more danger. He was afraid, he runs for his life, and he is so weak that he asks to die. My guess is this might feel similar to midterm week for you, right? I have run the race, and I'm ready to be done. Wait, there's more? Ugh. And so that's, I mean, that's, consider what Elijah's going through. Jezebel is like, I'm going to make your life miserable. I'm going to do to you what you did to these other prophets. I'm going to kill you. And so he runs and he's weary and he travels a full day. He's exhausted and he's so exhausted that he just asks to die. He is weak. He's weak, he's frail, his body is finite. He can only take so much. And I would think at that point with everything going on, I've got to come up with a plan. I've got to come up with something. I'm in a lot of trouble. And instead he falls asleep. And then God wakes him up and he doesn't give him a plan. He doesn't tell him what to do except one thing. Here's a cake, buddy. Eat up. Did you see that? God baked him a cake. How good of God. (laughs) When we are anxious, believe it or not, one step in fighting anxiety is acknowledging our body's physical needs. When we are weak and needy, God says, take a nap and eat a snack. It's amazing how spiritually relevant those old Snickers commercials are. You remember those? So, you know, they had the few people in there, and the one friend all of a sudden becomes like an old person, and they're cranky, and and it's like, you're not you when you're hungry. Eat a Snickers. And then all of a sudden, they just magically get better. Like, it's actually very spiritually relevant, right? They're getting to this reality that the Bible is very clear on, You're not yourself when your body is weak. And as that brings anxiety, do the things that are going to care for your body. Take a nap. Eat a snack. How does this apply? Friends, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is to shut off your homework and go to sleep or to shut off your homework and actually enjoy a meal maybe it's even better to get that meal delivered. Just the, the least amount of effort, just get food from point A to point B in my mouth, right? God has made you an embodied soul and your soul is impacted by your body's needs. Do not neglect them. Now, that might raise a question, right? What if you struggle to eat and take a nap? Like, what if my body is even further warring against me. And I'm not gonna be able to solve all those things in this workshop. But I, I do want to empathize with you because I've been there. Like I remember, that as I mentioned in the beginning with the, the panic attack that I had, there was a stretch of about three or four months where I barely got two hours of sleep in a given night. And so it, it's really, really hard when your body just wars against you that even God's solutions don't work. And so what do you do? I remember sitting with my pastor thinking he was going to give me scripture and his counsel to me as I was struggling to sleep, struggling to calm down, was, hey, Zach, here's what I want you to do. Buy a punching bag. Come again? You're, you're a pastor, right? <laughs> Buy a punching bag. I'm like, why? Because your body's flooded with adrenaline. Like, that's why you can't get to sleep. So do something to flush out the adrenaline in your body. Do something that will care for your body. So the the real application, the real heart here is look for practical ways to help your body. So maybe don't eat a Snickers. Maybe eat good whole foods that will help your body, that will help regulate. You know the right types of foods, it will actually help boost some of the, the chemicals in your brain that will actually produce good moods. The same is true of exercise. Like sometimes the best thing you can do is go for a run or then go for a walk or do something to get your body active. Friend, I'm gonna say this as a, as a dad to you all who are you know, college kids, go to the doctor, <laughs> please. Because <laughs> they can help you. They can help you. It's a good thing to go to the doctor. And listen, and this, is, this might sound controversial, but you know, medication can be a helpful tool if used responsibly. Now, I, I don't think we should depend on medication. I think maybe too many people do that. It can be an idol. But what some medication does is it simulates and stimulates different brain chemistry that helps you be regulated. And so it, it can be a good option. Now, make sure you consult that doctor I just told you to see, right? And also have a team of people around you to help you with that. Because understand, some medications, they can become addictive. They can, they can become uh, a crutch that we don't need. But realize that part of what we want to do is we want to give you practical tools for your body to be in a good place to be with the God who has designed you. You know The Lord has designed you and your body to work in tandem with your soul. We're embodied souls. And so to to have a more thriving relationship with God, sometimes the way to fight anxiety is to think about your body's weakness and to practically address it. Take naps, eat snacks. Now we have a few minutes here. I'm gonna get the mic runners up. I wanna show you maybe how the psalmists Engage with God in the midst of anxiety, and so there's a one passage left, Psalm 13, and I want you guys to notice what's in there. So let me read it, and then I want you guys to just, sh- or uh, let's say Tony and I think Jessica, you guys have mics. I just want you to note observations that you see, to tell me what the psalmist is saying here in this passage. So let me read it, and then we'll get some engagement here. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. All right, so what do you guys notice? Just raise your hand and we'll get a mic to you.
1: As far as I could, I could understand on this passage, it's uh, probably how Solomon was uh, asking God questions about uh, himself. I feel like he, he was going through a lot of stuff but he was still uh, like he was questioning God, which is okay to question God. I just learned that today. Yeah. Uh, even though he was questioning God in a certain types of way, at the end of the day, he says that. But I have a trust in your steadfast and I love and love. So by this, um, I think I understand that. Like even though we go through a lot of struggle, a lot of anxiety and stuff, putting our faith before uh, before everything, it's the most important thing because it's the faith that will keep us uh, on our path to Christ. So there's like a lot of times that like we pray, but we know we're not okay. Even though we pray and we feel like, oh, yeah, I'm praying, but I feel like even that prayer is not helping me succeed. Mm-hmm. Just for you to have the sense that even though it's not helping me now, but this prayer will help, will help me in the future. Mm-hmm. So if you have this sense established in your mind, I feel like it will, it will help you a lot to see that, Everything is just at moment, you know?
0: Moment, yeah. And, yeah. Yes, there's a couple things that you said that were really good there. One is he's honest with God, right? How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? But then on the flip side, he says, I will, I have trusted in your steadfast love. I will sing. So there's a future hope based on what he's already seen. So that's really good. Yeah. Any other things that you see the psalmist saying?
1: Well, we already said, we kind of like talk to God about like how we feel and then end with trusting. But in the middle, he kind of asks like, Lord, this is what I want from you. Like he's telling God what he wants and yeah. being like, even if I don't get what I want, like I'll trust you. But he's saying like, he's being honest. He's like, this is how I feel. This is what I want, but I'll trust you.
0: Yeah. 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 He's saying like, that, look at what he says here. Consider me, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes. And he's saying, I have not seen, I've not felt the light of life. I want it. <laughs> I want this thing badly. Yeah. Anything else that you guys see? Maybe time for one or two more comments. What do you see the psalmist saying?
1: Um, so I just noticed that in um, verse four, it says, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. And then focusing more so on the second part, like lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. I just noticed a lot in college that, um, there's a lot of people who try to pull you away from God and Mm -hmm. away from, you know, his love and, um, and, you know, just him being there with you. Um, like we've mentioned, like in the end, you can question him. You can like, that's okay, but don't let those people kind of, um, shake you away from the Lord and his love and, you know, stay steadfast with him as well, because he is with you all the time, no matter how much sin you've Mm -hmm. gone through, how much um, anxieties and pain you've also gone through. So that's just what I noticed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that verse four is, is very, it's very poignant in that asking for what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. One last comment, Connor over there. Um, So one thing I noticed in the first two verses is that there's a fourfold repetition of the phrase, how long? Um, So it's clear that what David is, whatever he is lamenting about specifically, has been going on for an extended period of time. And uh, I think anyone with anxiety knows what that can be like. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, despite these honest questions that are confused because the anxiety has been going on for so long, um, it's still a prayer of faith because yes. it's, it's appealing to God's character and he doesn't see um, how his present situation and God's character are exactly uh, lining up. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and I appreciate, I think sometimes we, we look at anxiety, we look at other things like depression, and we think there has to be an end date. And we kind of self-impose an end date. And it's like most of the time we get the end date wrong. And sometimes it may, it may never fully get better. But that's not, the, that's not necessarily the hope that we have in this life. That's the hope in the future when we, when we get to be with God in eternity. But until then, we can actually say, how long? How long will you hide your face from me? Will you forget me forever? Like that's, that's what the psalmist is saying. Now, I, I'm going to share with you uh, this very quick three-point outline that I got from a a friend and teacher named Dr. Mark Furtado. And it's it's really just this. Uh, The first point is the first two verses, say how you feel. Talk to God about how you feel. You are essentially telling God how you feel weak, just like Elijah did. Like Elijah said, I feel like I could die. You can say that to God highlight, and I want to highlight for you that it trusts God to say how you feel to him. So say how you feel. Second, ask for what you want. Ask for what you want. You are trusting God and telling him what you want and what you need, right? In, In the Matthew passage, we didn't see God say, hey, don't be anxious. I mean, you may not, you know, I know that you need that stuff, but whatever. No, he, he's, he's saying, I want you to want these things. It's okay to want these things. You're trusting God and telling him what you want or what you need. And then third, verses five and six, trust God for the result. So you say how you feel, ask for what you need, trust God for the result. I want you to notice, it's not I will trust you when I get the result. It is trust God for the result. He says, I will trust in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He is essentially grounding himself. He's looking out for the promises of God, both past, present, and future. And so we say how we feel, ask for what you want, trust God for the result. Friends, we, we live in a time where the world gives us all sorts of opportunities to be anxious. We should not be surprised. God certainly is not surprised. In fact, he's not only not surprised, he's not ashamed of it either. A God draws near. So take your first steps to fighting anxiety. Look to see the God to see the God who provides. Be in communion with him and his people for protection, and take a nap and eat a snack in times of weakness, or maybe dinner, because that's coming up. They're the first steps to moving towards God, which help us fight anxiety. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are not ashamed of these things that we feel, nor do you leave it up to us to fix it. But God, you just, you just beckon us to come, that really the first step, to fighting anxiety, in all of these things that we talked about, it's taking a practical step towards you as you have moved towards us. Help us take our first steps today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.